0: Our theme for this year is moving forward. That's our theme for the year is that we believe that God is calling us to move forward. But I want to encourage you to understand this, that it's not just about the destination, it's the journey. It's not just about getting to some particular place or accomplishing a goal or possessing a land. Moving forward is about the whole process of the journey. A journey that involves a series of ups and downs, a journey that involves times of victory and times of setback, a journey that involves seeing God do the miraculous. Now, the past few weeks, we've looked at the victories and the defeats that Israel has experienced after they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. They go and they walk around the walls of Jericho and what happens? The walls fall down. Then Achan touches the devoted things. When they go to face their enemies at Ai, they cannot stand before their enemies because of this sin that was in the people's lives. Now we move on to chapter 9 and chapter 10. In chapter 9, there's a group of people called the Gibeonites. They were people who lived in the area and they knew what God had said. God told Israel to wipe out all the inhabitants that live in the land. They weren't to let any of them live. They weren't to let any of them survive. And so when they heard about the victories that God had given to Israel, they came up with a plan to save themselves. And their plan involved dressing up in worn-out clothes, packing up in worn-out sandals and Old moldy bread and they were going to come and approach Joshua And they were going to approach Joshua and ask him if he would come to a peace treaty with them And so they fill that out and this is where we picked up in Joshua chapter 9 Verse 9 it says this They answered your servants have come from a very distant country Because of the fame of the Lord your God For we have heard reports of him All that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth, And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provision for your journey. Go and meet and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm. When we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The men of Israel sampled the provisions, notice what it says, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were their neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kepiara, Barath, and kareth jerem But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Father God, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of your people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you will notice that the scripture says that they sampled the provisions... But they did not inquire of the Lord. They made this treaty only to find out that they had been deceived. They had sworn a vow, and now when they find out where the people live, they could not go back against the vow that they had made. So they allowed the people to live, the people who God had told them earlier, that they were to utterly destroy. And they forced these people to be Israel's servants. The rest of their existence, the Gibeonites would have a job. Their job would be to cut wood and to carry water for the tabernacle. You know, to be honest with you, that doesn't sound like too bad of a job compared to being an alleated. A short time later, the king of Jerusalem and four of the kings from the region joined together to attack the Gibeonites. They didn't like the fact that the Gibeonites had made a treaty and made peace with Israel. They resented that, and so these five kingdoms, or these five cities, come together are going to attack the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua, and they asked for his help. They said, we are your servants, and we're coming to you for protection. Now, up until this point, whenever Israel went to fight, they would fight one city at a time, one king at a time. And if they would fight one city at a time or one king at a time, it's going to take a while for them to take possession of the land. And God wanted things to speed up for them. Do you know that there's times that God wants to speed some things up in your life? There's times where you've been on pause for long enough and there's times when you've been on delay for long enough and there's times where God begins to stir things up and that's what he did I believe that God stirred up the hearts of these kings to come against the Gibeonites and so these five kings gathered together and the people of Israel and Joshua would go out to face these five kings and fight them all of them at once Now, when we talk about this, because of time, we don't have a whole lot of time. But what I want you to see is, as you look through Joshua chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12, you will see that God did a whole lot of stuff in the midst of these chapters. There was all kinds of places along the way where God was teaching the Israelites a lesson. God could have miraculously came through and sent a plague and wiped out all of their enemies... God could have easily done that. God could have sent some kind of storm and destroyed their enemies, or God could have caused their enemies to run in fear. But instead, God had a different type of response that he expects from the people with each city that they face. Remember earlier when they saw the walls of Jericho, they were supposed to walk around them. On the seventh day, they were to walk around seven times and they were to blow the horns and they were to shout and the walls came tumbling down. God didn't tell them to do that. God did not tell them to do that for the city of Ai. For the city of Ai, he set up a strategy in which the nation and their army was divided into three different groups. One group was to go behind the city and set an ambush. The one was to go between Ai and Bethel and would stop anyone from Bethel who would try to come and help them. The other group would go out and stand right in front of Ai and challenge the men to come out and fight. When they came out to fight, they would fake like they were losing the battle, and they would step back, and the men of Ai, because they beat them the day before, would have all kinds of courage and confidence, and they would come running out. And when they come running out, the group that was behind the city of Ai hiding would come around, set the city on fire, and then these armies would be trapped on three sides, and God would defeat them. This battle in Joshua, then chapter 10 verse 8, the scripture says this, the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them all along the road, Going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord, notice that the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Jasher. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. As I said to you earlier, did you notice how God deals with the enemies of God's people in a different way each time? God is teaching Israel about his power. He's teaching them about his strength. He's teaching them to depend upon him. Each battle, God caused them to see his power and his wisdom and his strength in a different way. As we said at Ai, he gave them a strategy. Here, God brings the people into confusion. Then he sends hail that kills more than all of the army put together. And God literally caused the sun to stand still so that they would have time to defeat their enemies. Each of these battles and each of these challenges is going to cause the people of Israel to grow. It's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. If all they cared about was, okay, all I want is just to get these cities that are mine. All I want is to take possession of this land. God could have made that, he could have made that happen in just a moment like that. But God had lessons that he wanted to teach them. And my friend, can I say this to you? There's some lessons that God wants to teach you. Please do not get caught up in rushing to your destination. Please don't get caught up in running to the place that you say, well, this is where I feel like God wants me to go. Don't get all caught up in running there and having to get there so fast that you miss out on the journey. Because it's on the journey that God reveals himself to you. It's like God saying to some of you, hey, let's go on a road trip. There's something really cool about a road trip. If you've ever had a chance to go on a road trip, a road trip is fun. When a couple guys get together and they drive somewhere, maybe to Florida or somewhere like that, you got unlimited time and with nothing to do but talk. And God wants to take some of you upon a road trip. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to show you don't be in such a hurry that you don't enjoy the journey. Last summer, our family went to general council in Phoenix. After general council, we decided to take a family vacation and travel through portions of California and Arizona because we didn't think we'd ever probably get back there. Again, it was one of the things our kids are growing up. We got Logan two more years, and then she'll be off to college. And so, you know, we thought about some places we wanted to go. For us, this was going to be a trip of a lifetime. We're going to go to Arizona, and from Arizona, we're going to rent a car, and we're going to drive through California and end up in San Francisco and hop on the plane in San Francisco and fly back home. There were some things that we wanted to see. How many of you have places that you'd like to see or things that you'd like to do? For us there were some things that we wanted to see. Some of the things that we wanted to see, we wanted to see the Grand Canyon. That was on our list. It's like man, I'd like to see the Grand Canyon. Can you imagine what that's like? Lori said that she wanted to see the Pacific Ocean. She's I was like ah, I don't really feel like I, I just want to stick my feet in the ocean. I was like, okay, so That was on our list. We wanted to go to the Pacific Ocean. We'd seen the Golden Gate Bridge before, but we wanted to see the Golden Gate Bridge. And I don't know why, but we wanted to see the Hollywood sign. What's up with the Hollywood sign? I thought you could go to the Hollywood sign. I thought like you could climb up to it and be like standing beside it and wave to everybody and get your picture taken. If you do, the police will chase you down. You can't go to the Hollywood sign. You can see the Hollywood sign from hills around and from parks around, but you're not allowed to go up to it. So that was some of the things we wanted to see. So when general counsel was over, we got in our rental car and we began to drive. We drove through the desert and along the way we saw signs for Palm Springs. As a little kid, I remember hearing about Palm Springs, you would know like Sammy Davis and dean martin and being a little kid and hearing about palm springs and so we stopped along the road and pulled off of the highway and drove through palm springs there were some other places we visited we visited sequoia national park in king's canyon the sequoia national park has trees that are over like 40 feet wide one tree as big across as this room it's just amazing the, how large the trees is and how God has created all those things. And then after we went through Sequoia, we went to Los Angeles, and I wanted to see Azusa Street. Because Azusa Street is what's considered the birthplace of the modern Pentecostal movement. And this is pretty much what's left of Azusa Street. It's an alley, and there's a sign that says, Azusa Street Mission, site of the azusa street revival from 1906 to 1931 cradle of the worldwide pentecostal movement and i'll be honest i was a little bit disappointed i was hoping they had something else there but we got there and we got our pictures taken and we drove around some other things we wanted to see we said we want to go to yosemite we wanted to go to yosemite and we'd seen the pictures of when you drive through the tunnel that's from up on the hill But the previous picture, you drive through the tunnel and you come out and you see this valley below you. It's just phenomenal. And we wanted to see that. But can I share this with you? The most memorable times of our trip were not seeing the Yosemite Valley. It was not seeing an Azusa street sign. It was not seeing the Golden Gate Bridge. The most memorable times of our trip were things we had not planned for. It was things that happened along the way. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we think that, oh, we get to see the Golden Gate Bridge or we get to do this. That's going to be the memorable thing. That wasn't. As we were driving through Los Angeles, what was cool was... We saw where Azusa Street was and we just drove up the hill and there's a Bonnie Bray house. If you know the history of the Assemblies of God or the Pentecostal movement, the Bonnie Bray house is where that first started, where they first started meeting. And then there's Angelus Temple with Amy Simple McPherson is just up the street from there. And, And all these places we were driving around and we saw the sign for Dodger Stadium. And I'm thinking, what's Dodger Stadium doing up here? I thought it would be by like an interstate or something. And and so Landon loves baseball, and we went to Dodger Stadium. Now, they were closed. Thank God they were closed, no games, because, I mean, it just saved me a lot of money. I didn't know, but when they're closed, we just drove up to the security guard, and I said, hey, could we go in and look around? He's like, sure, just drive up here, follow this line, and we drove up, and we went to Dodger Stadium, we got to look around there, and, and then the next time, uh, there or so later, we stopped at the stadium for the o- Oakland Athletics, just before dark. We weren't really planning to go there, but we had a little bit of time, I said, let's go over and see the Oakland Athletics Stadium, and it was closed down. All the gates were shut except for one gate. But we drove through that one gate. We drove around the back of the stadium. and in the back of the stadium, there's a ramp that goes down inside the stadium. And that was open. So we parked the car. <laughs> Man, Landon jumped out of the car. Come on, let's go. We ran down to the field. And they were watering the field. And we got to take our picture, Landon and I's picture, on the field. And whenever you're watching the Oakland Athletics play, you can see the place in the wall. I believe it was 400 feet where we walk down and we can say, hey, we were there. We also went to some other places along the way, San Francisco Giant Stadium, and where they... Remember whenever Barry Bonds was hitting all of his home runs, and they'd have people out in the water behind, in the canals behind their stadium there, in kayaks, trying to catch the balls, because the balls would be worth all kinds of money. We, we had a chance to go there. And those were the fun places, running through the stadium. Looking around, it wasn't planned, but it was a place of memories and enjoyable. With Logan, I think some of our best memories were climbing out on the rocky outcrops above the Grand Canyon. It's one thing, like it's fun to go to the Grand Canyon and look down over the side and it's like a mile down. That's fun. But what's really fun is to get a few hundred yards away from where the vast majority of the tourists are and like they don't have any rails there. And you can walk out on all of these rocks and climb out and like get, look over the edge and it's straight down. You know, you're looking down on eagle soaring. It's one of those things where it's those memories that you have. And uh, there was one particular rock where like we went out on it and I was just like, I'm not going any further. No, you come back. You come back. I'm not usually afraid of heights, but the, the thought of if we trip or fall or slip, It's like a mile down here. I think we need to stay back a little bit. Another fun thing that we did was climbing up alongside the different waterfalls at Yosemite. We would park the car. We'd go and look at the waterfalls. And here's the thing. It wasn't planned, but we saw other people climbing around. And we figured, well, if they can climb around, I guess we can climb around too. Right? And we would typically climb the farthest up of anybody there. And Lori would be sitting down there and people would be like, hey, look. There's someone way up there. Lori's like, yeah, that's my husband and kids. <laughs> yeah. And like your heart would beat fast. You know what I mean? Probably one of the most memorable days for me was in a place called King's Canyon. In essence, if you go out there to these places, what you do is you get in your car and you drive forever and you look at things. I mean, that's kind of King's Canyon as you drive. And it's beautiful scenery and, and it takes you into the middle of the Rocky Mountains, and the road ends there, and there's no way through. There's not a road to go through, through Kings Canyon. It ends there in the middle of the wilderness. And along the way there, we stopped, and we saw this, this stream came down and went underneath the road. And we could see, like, waterfalls up on the hill. And I said, well, let's go check this out. So we pulled off, and it was really at an end of, nothing there. It was just a little bit of dirt there alongside the road, not even much room to pull off. And we pulled off, and we started walking up the hill, and we found these huge boulders. And with the huge boulders, there was also waterfalls that would come down. And you could climb up on the boulders, and the boulders were hot, and the water was freezing cold. You could climb up on the boulders, and then you could climb up to another level. And there would be a pool there, and then there would be waterfalls coming down to that, and you climb up those rocks, and there would be another pool, and more waterfalls When we talked about it, it went on like this forever. Have you ever seen in people's backyards or these landscaping places where they have these beautiful waterfalls and we'd crawl underneath? This isn't one of the bigger ones. We'd get back underneath the waterfall and the water would beat down on your head. I mean, it was awesome. And you know, I said to the kids, this is one of the best days of my life. It wasn't planned. We sat there for probably three hours Lori's beeping the horn. We're just ignoring her. Okay, we're out in the middle of the wilderness. She's beeping, and not a single person, not a single person came in those three or four, three and a half hours that we were up there playing in the waterfalls. Not one person. It was like you kind of had a little paradise for yourself. It wasn't planned. It wasn't on the trip. We didn't know that's what was going to happen. It was one of those places along the journey that you just kind of stop along the way, and it's like, what would happen if I hadn't stopped here? I would have missed out on this incredible day, and we'd get in the water, and then we'd get out and sit on these huge rocks, and the rocks were hot and warm, and and you'd get warm, and you'd get back in the water. It was really, honestly, one of the best days of my life, one of the most memorable days of my life. I didn't go to a huge amusement park. It wasn't getting to the destination. It was a place that was along the way. Can I tell you this? That in a spiritual sense, God's got a destination for you. He's got a place where you're headed. But he's not just concerned about your destination. He's concerned about the journey along the way. Because can I say to you, on the journey are some of the best days of your life. It's not just getting there. It's not just getting there and checking it off of your list. It's on that journey that some of the very best days of your life are ahead of you. And if you're just so busy and if you don't understand that and if you don't look for that, you'll miss those opportunities along the way. God wants you to experience And enjoy the journey, not just the destination. Some of your most effective growth and spiritual maturity, some of your greatest ministry will come about on the journey. They're going to come out out of mundane trials, out of mundane tests. They're going to come out as interruptions. They're going to come out as detours. They're going to come out as hassles. Did you know that most of Jesus' miracles came about as a result of interruptions in his day-to-day life? Jesus didn't say, hey, I think I'm going to go out and heal ten lepers today. In the midst of his journey... Along the way, opportunities presented themselves to him. And he would heal the sick, and he would do good, and he would deliver people. Many times, Jesus' ministry was not him intently going and saying, Okay, I think today's a leper healing day today. That's on Tuesdays. Wednesdays, we open up blind eyes. He didn't say that. And Friday, of course, is fish day. Let's see if we can't feed the 5,000. That's not how he did it. It was along the way in the midst of his everyday life and the ordinary things that he was doing, that opportunities would present themselves and Jesus would do miraculous things. Can I say to you today that it's in your ordinary life, it's in the day-to-day things, it's in the just your coming and going that God's going to reveal himself to you. It's in those ordinary things that just seem like an interruption that God's going to show himself powerful and strong. I think of us as a church. God's calling us to move forward. And can I tell you this, that some of the greatest surprises are going to come in that journey as we move forward. I believe God intends for Lighthouse to reach... Many, many more people. There's, you know, in our community, there's thousands of people who are lost and dying without Jesus. Do you think God wants Lighthouse to grow and reach people? If you don't think that God wants Lighthouse to grow and and to go, then you don't understand the heart of God. Because God's not willing any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Oh, let somebody else do it? No, God has called you and he's called me to reach those who are lost. How can we possibly stand back and say, well, I'm well fed, I'm taken care of, I'm comfortable. Let those who don't know Christ, let them just rot and die. We can't say that. It's our responsibility to reach out to them. I believe God would have us to literally see hundreds And hundreds of people come into the kingdom of God as a result of your ministry, of your prayers, of your investments in the kingdom of God. I believe God's gonna have us expand our facilities. If your family comes, where are they gonna sit? That neighbor that you want to come to know the Lord? There's not room for them. So I believe that God's gonna have us to expand our facilities and to make room for others who are going to come into the kingdom of God. Friend, it's not just about facilities. But I believe that God's going to give us a facilities that will be attractive to the community that they'll see and want to be a part. You know, I envision a sanctuary, a minimum of 500 people with a balcony. I want a place where there's room for the choir. And there's room for the worship team to minister. And there's room for the students to do ministries, an expansive altar area. I can envision a, an altar that's wide and expansive and that people are on their faces before God calling out to him. I see something for our kids. I want to see our kids to love coming to church. So when they come, to have an environment that's inviting and fun for them. You know, whenever you come to church and mom and dad yell at you all the time about not running and in Have and sit down and be quiet and do this and do that. If you're a kid, that's not real inviting. But what I'd love to see is us to have a, a play area for the kids, like Chick-fil-A. Do you ever see Chick-fil-A's play areas? <laughs> can you imagine a kid being able to come to church, and while mom and dad are talking and fellowshipping and, and sitting out there, and like we're being real spiritual, that they could play and fellowship and have fun in like a glassed area where you could watch them? That'd be cool. And when they come to church, it can be fun. Now that'd be connected to a children's ministry area, and they couldn't just go in there anytime, but after services, they could go there and play and fellowship in our sanctuary, I see a soundproof room too. Whenever parents have their little ones and they're distracting you, that you can still be part of the sanctuary and still in part of the church with all glass around it, that you can be in there and your kid can scream and and you can just look at we'll look at you and smile, because we can't hear With like real loud speakers in there. So that you can overhear the kids. I can see offices. I can see us having a nice offices where people can come in. And having rooms set apart just for counseling. And God expanding that and reaching that out to the community. So people can come in when they're dealing with issues and hurts and things in their lives. And they can get help and work through their stuff. And not have to be deal with stuff forever. I can see a, a nice next to that kids area. A large cafe, a large foyer with a cafe and a seating area that makes it conducive for you to fellowship between service and after service. A second floor with rooms to facilitate the ministry of our church, classrooms. And more importantly, I see hundreds of people coming in. And I see like a bigger parking lot too, so that you don't have to park on the grass. See, hundreds of people coming in. And the Lord's filling up with people. Why? People who you love and you care about, who are without Jesus. Shouldn't there be room for them? Doesn't God care about them? Isn't God's heart for those who are lost? Them worshiping and kneeling before the Lord. It's going to be an awesome day when we see that new facilities filled to capacity. I remember the day when I would come in here and pray and I would pray for God to fill up this place and I knew how full it was. It was... About right here, I'd pray God would you fill up this church. I remember that day, week after week, I'd come in, and I'd pray, God, would you fill up this church with people who are hungry, with people who need you? Would you bring in people who are lost and let them come to know you? And we'd pray, and we'd get back to six seats and seven seats and eight seats. God has much bigger plans than what you and I can even imagine for His kingdom, because it's His kingdom. Church is not your church, it's not my church, it's his church. Whenever my last day here is, I walk away and this church stays here. This church stays here for the kingdom of God and for the lost people in this community. And so whenever we ask God to give us a vision, you know what we need to ask God to do? We need to say, God, along the journey, will you make my vision bigger than what I can even imagine now? That's what God wants to do in your heart. He wants to enlarge your vision. And may I ask you today, is your vision large enough for your God? Or have you limited Him? Have we limited Him by our abilities and our talents and our skills and what we have within ourselves? Or is our vision a vision that God wants to, is birthing in us that if God doesn't do it, we're going to completely fail? If God doesn't come through, we'll look like fools. It's going to be an awesome day when we see that new sanctuary filled to capacity. But you know what? We don't need to wait till then to rejoice. I can rejoice right now for what God is doing. I don't need to wait till then and you don't need to wait till then till you do ministry. You can do ministry right here and right now. And all along the way, God is going to teach you and I to trust in Him. They're going to be lessons of faith. And when you follow God and when you listen to his call and on this journey, God teaches us things that we would never experience if we didn't undertake the journey. It's on the journey where our faith is stretched. It's on the journey where our vision is increased. It's on the journey where God kind of shakes some stuff in us that's wrong and it's out of place. And if you didn't go on the journey, you would never know that. We're going to see God do miracles of provision. We're going to be tested. Along your journey of faith, my friend, you are going to be tested and you are going to be stretched. But my friend, you're going to pass the test. Why? Because God said that we're not a people who shrink back. Because if we shrink back, he won't be pleased with us. We're people who press forward. And so along this journey, and and your personal journey of faith, God is doing a work in your life. It's not just getting about to a certain place or accomplishing a certain goal. It's that on that journey, God is revealing himself to you in greater and greater ways. We're going to build deeper friendships and better relationships. We're going to expand our borders God is going to give us influence. The journey of faith is going to be a catalyst to bring about growth and maturity in all of our lives. So what does that mean for me? It means it's time for you to get excited about what God is doing. Some people are going to wait, they're going to hold off to get excited about what God is doing until everything falls in place, until everything is perfect, Until all of their dreams come true. And because they don't have it their way right now. They can't be excited. And they can't be blessed. Because they're facing trials now. My friend in the midst of trials. God is blessing you. You just simply need to open up your eyes and see. Some are blinded to that. We get excited about what God is doing. It's time to start anticipating. An unprecedented move of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out on those who are anticipating him. The followers of Christ, there are 120 in the upper room, they were anticipating something to take place. They were expecting God to do something. And what I found is that when you and I start expecting, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When you and I start expecting and believing him and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is going to come through, that he's going to reveal himself, that he's going to move on our behalf, that he's going to save our families, when you start expecting that, the crazy thing is it starts taking place. There were different times throughout the Bible. Jesus said to him, as your faith, so be it unto you. Friends, it's time to throw off the weights and the sins that so easily beset us. It's time to get rid of those things that slow us down and that hinder us. It's time to set aside those distractions. It's time to quit saying tomorrow I'll do it or someday I'll do it. And it's time to get on board with what God is doing. Please don't get on board with what the pastor is doing. Please don't get on board with what some leader is doing. You get on board with what God is doing. Because what God is doing is what's important. His work and his kingdom and his desires, that's the things that you need to get on board with. And as you seek God and as you get on board with what God is doing, you will find that the Holy Spirit will move in such powerful ways that you and I cannot even fathom what God will accomplish. As we close, I just want to share this with you. I want to remind you. It's not just a destination. It's about the journey. And so those of you who've been putting off being happy, those of you who've been putting off being content, those of you who've been putting off being filled with joy and anticipation and excitement because you haven't reached it yet, you need to get rid of that thinking. You need to understand that I'm on the way. I'm headed in the way that God wants. And in the midst of this journey, God's going to provide for me some of the very best days of my life but I just have to have my eyes open. Those distractions, those things along the highway where you pull off and you think, that doesn't seem like much here. Don't look like many people stop here. Maybe one of the places that's some of the greatest things that God ever does through you and in you. As we close, I want to pray over you, and this is what I want to pray. I want to pray that God will create an excitement and enthusiasm within our spirit that he's worthy of. If you serve a God who's not worthy of excitement and enthusiasm, well, that's cool. But my God is. And he's going to do things in and through us that eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I want to say this. That ultimately talks about heaven. But that's not just in heaven. God's got things prepared for you. He's got experiences in him and an intimacy with him and ministry through his spirit in your life. You can't even grasp or comprehend. But as we seek after him and just follow his lead, we're going to see that God's going to just direct our lives. We're going to pull off along the road and you're going to be like, wow, I think yesterday was one of the best days of my life. And then the next day you're going to say, well, today outdid yesterday. I think today might want to be one of the best days of my life. Why? Because the Spirit of God is alive and he's at work within us. Father God, we thank you today for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that breaks every yoke. We thank you for your presence, oh God. Lord, I pray that you would enlarge our vision. I pray, God, that you would cause us to get a grasp of what you're trying to do here at Lighthouse and what you're trying to do in our lives, Lord. God, I pray that we would not think it's just the journey, it's just the destination. Oh, hurry up, God, get me there. But I pray that along the way, that we would be expecting you to intervene in our lives. That we'd expect you to set up divine appointments. That we'd expect you to interfere with what we're doing and then do the miraculous for us, oh God. That Jesus Christ may be glorified and his name may be lifted up and that your kingdom may be advanced. Lord, go with us today, we pray. And Lord, stir up in our spirits and our heart a hunger and a desire for more of you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, he said, amen. amen. amen.